and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. Uh, you can get the podcast on YouTube. Even if you're not watching it on YouTube, you should still subscribe because that helps me. But uh, well, you can also get us on the Odyssey app because we're part of the Odyssey family. I got my guy Mario behind the scenes producing. You can get us on Apple, Spotify, everywhere else that you normally get podcasts. Just go do that. Subscribe, rate, review. All the usual stuff. Uh, this is the last episode we're doing before the All-Star break. I am planning on... To, we're recording this on Wednesday late morning. Tomorrow I'm flying to Salt Lake City. And I'll be there for the All-Star game. And all the All-Star weekend festivities. Obviously the Blazers aren't going to have as much of a presence there. As they we kind of thought they were. Because Shade and Sharp pulled out of the dunk contest, which we've talked about before. And yesterday, Anthony Simons was officially announced as a participant in the three-point contest. And then last night against the Wizards, he suffered what looks like a pretty serious ankle injury. Uh, the x-rays were negative. He didn't break anything. That's all we really know right now. Their MRI is going to be tomorrow at some point. So we'll know more then but I would be surprised if he isn't out for a while. Like, it looked like a pretty bad injury, so I, I don't think this is going to be one where, like, he misses a week or misses two weeks and then he's back. I think it might be a while before he's back, but, you know, the MRI is tomorrow, so we'll have more information on that soon, and then, you know, it'll be... It's going to really... It changes a lot about the rest of the season if he has to miss a lot of time because, you know given you know how important he is to everything the Blazers do like I'll say this I think we're gonna know one way or the other a couple weeks after the all-star break where the rest of the season is gonna go because I think Nurkic is still supposed to be back shortly after the all-star break Chauncey Billups said yesterday that he is coming along well and he's doing some on-court stuff and they're happy with where he's at and they're hoping to get him back soon, but they don't have like an actual timetable. And the only thing the team has said is that they ruled him out through the all-star break. So, you know, hopefully within the next couple of weeks after the break, they'll get him back, which will help some things because obviously you saw last night against the Wizards, they had absolutely no answer for Kristaps Porzingis because they just have nobody who's big enough to like, they guard, they even if you guard him pretty well and you do all the things you're supposed to do positioning wise, he's just so much bigger than you that he can just shoot over you. And they, you don't, if you don't have somebody like Nurkic on the floor, there's just nothing you can do. And that's just kind of going to be the position the Blazers are in every night until he's back. So that's kind of where that's at right now. Either they come out of the break, string a few wins together, and they're right back in the play-in mix, or they go on another little losing skid, and then maybe the rest of the season starts to go the way that last season went, where maybe they start prioritizing, we're going to force-feed Shaden Sharp some minutes, we're going to really try to get Matisse Thibel and Cam Reddish and Kevin Knox integrated and get a look at them and see how it looks, and maybe... Dame coincidentally has the calf flare up again and misses some, like, it could go that way, or they could win a few games and they could say, okay, we're going to stick, you know, try to stay in the play-in and try to stay in the playoffs. I don't think they've made a decision one way or the other yet. I think they're just going to kind of see how the rest of the, you know, the the, the two weeks after this uh, All-Star break goes and if they can get guys back and healthy and maybe that will, you know, influence things one way or the other. So that's kind of where things are at with the team right now i like i said i will be at the all-star game i have some ideas of you know people i want to connect with stories i want to do uh i you know rosegardenreport.com make sure you're subscribed to get all of the content that i give you from there i would imagine because i'm traveling for it a lot of that stuff is going to be paywalled so make sure you sign up for a paid subscription uh today's 
podcast is with my friend Madeline Kenny, who has been on the show before. She was on during the preseason. She covers the Warriors for the San Jose Mercury News and does a great job on that beat. And I wanted to get somebody on who has been covering the whole Gary Payton Blazers trade saga kind of from the other perspective uh, you know obviously i've i've reported what i've reported about how all of that went down and the trade did end up going through and it remains to be seen what if anything is going to come from the investigation that the league is doing into the complaint that the warriors had about the blazers withholding medical information allegedly so there's that's all kind of in a holding pattern right now and i would imagine we're probably not going to get much more information about that until it's resolved i know i've tried you know behind the scenes to ask what's going on and nobody can even even off record nobody can even talk about it until you know because like legal is involved now so i don't think there are going to be any updates on that for a while but you know maddie and i just kind of walked through the last four or five days from both of our ends how the whole thing unfolded what you know, how different people feel it went or, you know, how, the, how these events unfolded. But so I, I just, I kind of wanted to get, you know, in, in the, you know, in the process of my, you know, reporting, I've, you know, I talked to a lot of people, like I've talked to, you know, people from the Blazers side, I've talked to a few people from the Warriors side, I've kind of gotten a picture of what happened, but I wanted to get someone who has covered the story kind of from the Warriors perspective and, could kind of give some insight into where their heads are at on this whole thing right now and kind of where things might go from their end from here. So that's a lot of what we got into. And then, you know, at the end, we kind of actually got into like where the Warriors season is at and what their, you know, what, what Steph Curry's timeline is, where things are at with the Draymond Jordan Poole relationship that we talked about the last time I had her on, which was right after the punch. So it's a good conversation. I think this is an episode that you guys are going to find insightful and interesting and uh you know i i like i it's a it's a good episode maddie's great you should follow her you should read her work covering the warriors she does a great job on the beat so let's get to that right now so maddie you look like you're in a hotel right now are you still in la i am still in la yes so what have the last what are we what are we at now four or five days since this whole gp2 thing happened like what what is what Walk me through how it, how this whole thing unfolded from your end. Yeah, I think that the Warriors have been interested in bringing back Gary Payton II. I mean, they didn't want him to go in free agency to begin with. They just, you know, said they couldn't afford to pay him at the rate that he got. Right. Um, but clearly the James Wiseman experiment was just not working. He was just taking up a roster spot. They couldn't really afford to let him play through his mistakes, which is something he clearly needed to do. Um, and it kind of seemed like the end was near, you know, in January and February, because even when he was healthy, they weren't playing him. And in November, they sent James Wiseman down to the G League to get that experience, to get the game reps he needed, because he's only played 60 NBA games in three seasons, which is absolutely wild. Like he not missed all of full... last season. Yeah, yeah, he missed all of last season. He has not even had a full NBA uh, 82 game slate yet. So, it, it, it seemed like, you know, Wiseman was, would be in a better position if he was for a team that is focused on developing for the future. And I think the Warriors kind of recognize that they're more of in a win-now mode, and they believe that Gary, adding Gary Payton II, somebody that is familiar with the system, has proven track record of success um, with the Warriors, would be – it's not going to save their season, but maybe it'll help them, you know, shore up that perimeter defense that's – been really porous this season yeah i mean honestly to me the thing before we got into all the medical stuff and the health stuff honestly the most illuminating thing about this trade was just the james wiseman part of it and especially mm -hmm. because like i know because i know that at some point i don't know really how seriously it was but i know that at one point a couple months ago, Portland did call the Warriors to check in about Wiseman. Like, that's somebody that I think they have looked at on some level. And if you look at the Blazers' roster right now, they have no seven-footers on the roster outside of Yusuf Nurkic, who is injured right now. Mm -hmm. So one would think that if they were going to do some sort of trade with each other, it might make some sense for Portland to look at Wiseman, you know, as a 
seven footer who's 21 and was a number two overall pick three mm-hmm. years ago or whatever. The fact that they were basically that, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure like, I don't know all the permutations of like all the ways that this different multi-team trade got kind of uh, discussed or whatever, but I'm sure there's a scenario where the Blazers could have just had James Wiseman and given them back GP2 in this trade. And the fact that the Blazers instead were just like, nah, you know, we're good. We'll just take five second round picks instead of this 21 year old, former number two overall pick who plays a position that we need like that to me kind of says a lot about just where people view Wiseman at and why the Warriors basically couldn't give him away at the deadline. Even before we get into the GP2 medical stuff, that part of it just stuck out to me about the trade. Well, I feel like it's kind of been overshadowed by just the drama that happened after the deal went down with Gary Payton's um, physical. Mm-hmm. Like, the Warriors essentially are giving up on this crown jewel of their, you know, two-timeline process right. that they were going for. And it shows a commitment to the here and now and they'll figure out what's going to happen down the line later. Um, they still have know, a couple of those kind of, like they have Moody, they have Kaminga. Yeah, like they still yeah. have a couple of those other guys that are kind of on the more, you know, post-Steph, post-Clay, post-Draymond timeline. And you have those like bridge players like Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, who are still young too. Right. But it just seems like, you know, Wiseman was supposed to be a big part of it. It was a weird pick from the beginning. He doesn't really fit their situation he's more of an offensive minded big you know usually bigs in the warrior system are just there to help facilitate and uh grab down rebounds you know like they're not usually the ones that are offering a scoring threat and so it just from the beginning didn't seem like it was going to work out the Warriors, they're still really confident that he can blossom and reach the potential that they see him being it just wasn't going to be with golden state unfortunately so so how did the, because I, you and I were talking on Friday afternoon, so about probably mm-hmm. about four, five hours maybe before the story broke. I had someone tell me that there might have been an issue with GP2's physical. And obviously, you know, if you've been following the Blazers all season, as people who are listening to this podcast have, the whole issue with GP2's core muscle and the surgery that he had in his timeline for recovery was kind of a story the whole season where originally they said he was going to be he had this he had the surgery in July they said that they didn't announce the surgery till September they said he was going to be ready to go by the start of the season even though he's going to miss training camp and then they just kind of kept pushing it back two weeks and then pushing it back two weeks and then pushing it back two weeks and basically at, at one point in like mid to late December they basically said he's cleared by the medical staff to play it's up to just when he tells us he's going to play and then he finally plays at the beginning of January and then he misses a few games of an ankle thing that's unrelated mm-hmm. to the core surgery and then he missed pretty much I think he missed a couple of games for like different things that are also unrelated but he pretty much played in every game after that and he didn't play very many minutes but when he was on the floor he looked exactly like the GP2 that was so important to the Warriors title team last year. He was just diving on the floor, getting steals, setting screens, just all the stuff that you would expect GP2 to do. He looked like exactly what they signed him to do. And so this just, the you know, just kind of the, you know, the underlying, there was like this whole, this has been a thing the whole year, people speculating about his health and him not, you know, being available when they thought he would and all this stuff. And so about five hours, maybe before this whole thing broke, I had someone tell me that there might have been an issue with his physical. And so I was trying to check on it. And I think I, I, I think I texted you just like, hey, you know, you should you should check on this too because you obviously know more people with the Warriors than I do. Mm-hmm. So maybe check on this. And then, uh, so Joe Cronin was scheduled. This was, this was Friday. So the trade deadline was Thursday. This was Friday that Joe Cronin was scheduled to speak to reporters just for his post-trade deadline press conference, which mm-hmm. they had told us the day before that, the press conference was going to be on Friday at 4.30. So this was known when he was going to talk, like what the schedule was and all that. So this was, this was not an impromptu press conference. It was known that he was going to talk when he ended up talking. And maybe half an hour before his press conference, there was the tweet from Shams that GP2 had failed his physical and it put the trade in jeopardy. So there was just that part of it. That like, okay, now it's out there that there might be an issue with his physical. And then uh, we're sitting down in the press conference room. I'm just kind of walking through how this went from my end, and then I kind of want to hear how that day went from your end. And then 
so, you know, we're sitting down in the press conference room waiting for Joe to come in. Five minutes before the Joe walks in, the story on The Athletic comes out that has the details with the stuff about the Warriors were concerned with the Blazers medical staff shooting him up with Toradol and then making him play and force and kind of pressuring him to play before he was hurt or even before he was ready to go. That came out five minutes before the press conference. And so we were all just kind of like five minutes before Joe walks into the media room. We're just kind of all looking at this and real like, what the hell is this? Like, like this is mm-hmm. out of nowhere that we hadn't heard anything about this. And so then Joe sits down, he gives his, you know, opening statement just about, you know, just overall the trade deadline strategy. On my last episode of the podcast, I went solo. And I, for those of you who are interested in that, like I talked about kind of their overall trade deadline stuff. This was before any of this GP2 stuff actually happened, by the way. But like this, you know, he just kind of talked about just the normal, you know, trade deadline stuff. And obviously when something like this is out there and you have the GM on the podium at a press conference taking questions, it has to be asked about, right? So the judgment call that I made in real time, and I still think this was the right call, was to just read that passage of the story to Joe. Like the the the, the, the paragraph about the Toradol shots and how they felt like the Blazers were pushing him to play that the, the, the paragraph of it that blew up. I mm-hmm. felt like I the think most that's fair. I think the most, context. I felt like the most fair way to do that was to present the full context to Joe of what mm-hmm. was out there to respond to. And so I did that. And he just looked kind of shell shocked and was just like, I literally heard about this five minutes ago before I walked in. And then later on another uh, reporter, Bill Orem from the Oregonian, who's been on the show before he followed up and said, you know, what about kind of the implications of this story or, or that, that your medical staff didn't handle this properly? And then Joe responded to that and basically said, you know, that, that quote about player safety is really important to us and we never would have pushed a guy to play before he was ready to play, which he said that. So like, you've probably seen that quote before, mm-hmm. but like that happened. And then just, you know, it just, the, the whole thing was just so weird. And then I later come to find out, like, obviously over the whole weekend, I'm, you know, sending texts, making calls, trying to check on this stuff. And, you know, then ESPN reports basically the same thing as the athletic story with the Toradol shots. And then Aaron Goodwin, who is Gary Payton's agent and also Damian Lillard's agent, goes on the record with Chris Haynes and says, my client never received Toradol shots. And... So, like, now it's like, okay, this is getting messy. There's, like, a back-and-forth thing where, you know, the Warriors' side of it is still entirely through, you know, anonymous sources at different media outlets. And whereas Joe Cronin has spoken on the record about it, Aaron Goodwin has spoken on the record about it, I come to find out later, I had a couple people tell me this, and I ended up reporting it uh, on Sunday after the trade officially went through, I come to find out that the Blazers had zero heads up about any of this either from the Warriors like during you know this time after they agreed to the trade but and you know after he took the physical the Warriors never called the Blazers and said hey there's something up with this physical what's the deal with this and any of the media outlets that were reporting on it never called the Blazers to ask for comment or to say Mm -hmm. hey it's just a heads up we're running this the Blazers as an organization from the way it's been told to me was completely blindsided by this five minutes before Joe Cronin walked in for his uh, press conference, which I don't know. There's like, to me, that's from either from the Warriors or from any media outlet. That's not really the right way to do something like that. But anyway, like, I mean, I never... there's two sides, there's two sides of every story, right? And right. So, yeah. Like... So I want, I want to hear kind of what your what, from your end, how this all unfolded and, and you know, yeah. your understanding of that. So I'm actually interested mm-hmm. in that. That's why I wanted to bring you on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, on Friday, my parents, I'm from Nebraska originally. My parents were in town. Right. Um, I even told them like, oh, I don't know if this is a good time to be, but my dad was there for a conference. And so mm-hmm. um, they understand, like, I'm going to be on my phone sometimes for work reasons. So I am at Alcatraz doing a tour of, you know, the old prison right. with my parents. And I'm just texting like a bunch of people trying to figure out like what is, is going on. And I even texted somebody for within the Warriors 
uh, organization was like, okay, if if a pl- if a player is to fail their physical, you know, how how long do you have to decide what to do next? And they it was just a seventy two hour window after the call, uh, trade call, which mm-hmm. would have been you know after the trade Thursday, deadline. yeah, because it was yeah. like th- it was like Thursday evening that all four of the teams send out the press releases. So that's that happens after the call goes through and the paperwork goes through with the league office so yeah and they always say like on trade deadline because so much movement happens the league office kind of gets a little log jam and that's why um it was maybe later than Mm -hmm. noon our time yeah um but so i'm i'm asking people about it and even after the athletic report came out i had a few people on background uh just kind of say you know just be careful about what you use from that report uh that the three months seemed a little bit overestimated he had just played the night before the trade and and he had played so he he missed the three games on like so he he played the first game against detroit he missed the three games on the next road trip with an ankle injury that was not related to the core surgery and then he played 14 out of the 16 games between then and the trade and he was fine and there was never he was on the injury report a couple times with other stuff, but he was never on the injury report with the core injury. So clearly he was, you know, healthy well, enough and, to play. Like. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's what, when we talked, when we finally talked to Bob Myers after this all went through, Bob Myers said that they were just, the, the consensus was the Warriors were caught off guard, that he was still dealing with some part of this core injury, which mm-hmm. they didn't find out until the physical, because he had played 14 out of the last 16 games, because he had played 22 minutes the night before against the Warriors before the trade deadline. So that's that's more so where they were caught off guard. I I asked Bob Myers if he um, was aware that Gary needed this surgery last summer, you know, in the off season, and he kind of said he what it he wasn't necessarily privy to him needing it, um, and didn't know that he was going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think from the Warriors' perspective is they use that 72-hour window to try to figure out what is their best course of action. It seemed like at that point they were going to go through the trade regardless of the failure. Well, I mean, program. the night before the I trade mean, went through, he was sitting with Bob Myers and Mike Dunleavy at the game wearing a Warriors sweatshirt. So yes, I, I'm yes. sure they were thinking really, really hard about voiding the trade if that was how what was happening. Yes, and I even saw some, uh, some Pistons beat reporters ask James Wiseman about it, and he said he was super confident the trade was going to go in, even think? though it was in limbo. I mean, <laughs> also, put yourself in James Wiseman's shoes. Would you want to go back to a team that you weren't playing on and weren't afforded opportunities that has already showed their willingness to part ways with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just would have been a really messy situation. It's overall. super awkward, both for his from his end and from Gary Payton's end, where yeah. you know, you do this trade and then like, yeah, everybody's just gonna welcome him back with open arms and he's gonna be happy to go back there after this trade. Like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Like yeah. that's not usually how this how this stuff works. Uh well, in general too, with the reunion of Gary Payton the second, like you've seen how excited the Warriors are to have him back. You uh-huh. know, a bunch of players have said, you know, how how important he was to last season's obviously, obviously title run, but just in general, how much they enjoy him. There's been a lot of, you know, hugging and smiles and sunshine. He was and pretty. And he was pretty friendly with all the Warriors guys at that game. The During day the before game, the deadline. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of where, where it stands now. Um, I, I'm sure you got the same thing that, we got from Bob Myers, just they can't really speak about the investigation yeah. or the allegations for legal reasons. It's up to the, off, the league office right now. Um, it's unclear how long the investigation or the review of the Warriors complaint will take. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of a waiting game at this point, both for a waiting game for the Warriors to figure out when Gary Payton will be back, when Steph Curry will be back, when they'll have actually a healthy roster, um, and also figuring out if there will be any ramifications against the Portland um, or if their claims are found to be validated. I wonder if maybe at some point, I wonder if there's even going to be any kind of not you know, ramifications for Portland, but I wonder if there are going to be ramifications for golden state, just for the mm-hmm. public nature of this whole, I mean, I, the, there's a few parts of this that haven't really sat well with me just as somebody who's been reporting on this whole thing and observing this whole thing. One was the 
you know, the, the, the idea that they were injecting him with Toradol, which first of all, for those of you who don't know, and I will admit that I fully didn't understand this until, like, I don't have a super, you know, advanced knowledge of, like, these sorts of drugs or these sorts of anti-inflammatories. Toradol is basically, like, higher-strength ibuprofen. It's not like they were injecting him with some steroid and just or some, like, super, like, opioid painkiller and saying, hey, go out there and play. And then once it comes out later that he actually was getting the Toradol orally and not as an injection, like, Toradol as a pill is a lot more common and a lot lower dosage usually than a shot. And it's also not localized. So basically they were just like giving him extra strength ibuprofen to help manage the pain, which is not anything nefarious and I'm sure not anything that's uncommon, but the way that it was worded. And I think a lot of the language that was used was basically trying to be inflammatory about like, wow, they're shooting him up and having him go out there and play. And I think a lot of that was kind of, intentional on different people's part to try to make this seem like it was some big scandal or that the Blazers mm-hmm. were doing something nefarious. So that part didn't really. Yeah. And I, I was talking to a like sports medicine doctor about uh-huh. it. Who's very familiar with Toradol, both injections and oral, oral tablets, uh-huh. tablets. And he said that it's something that you normally only get post-op and uh-huh. it's not really, it's, you have to be prescribed to get it. Um, it's not really something that they would have you take at home. If they did, it would be in short dosages right. just because it can have, you know, major effects with the stomach and with other organs. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you want to take long-term or would be recommended to take long-term. And so I think that's kind of where the hangup is with all of this was obviously there was some misinformation that was spread um, that, and some serious allegations that were put out there. Um, and we still don't know how much, what the dosage was, how often he was taking, you know, even the tablets and stuff like that. So there's still a lot of unknowns with this situation. Um, even even the injury that um, Gary Payton II has is a little uh, unclear because when we asked Bob Myers, is this stemming from the surgery he had this offseason, Bob didn't say yes or no. He just said he wasn't going to you know, speculate on how he got this injury. So it's un, you know, one might assume it's linked to the surgery, but it could also be something different or, you know, he just re-injured it. So a lot of, it's, a, it, it's definitely a weird situation, definitely hard to report on just because there is so much unknown and there was a lot of, you know, sor- anonymous sources that were, you know, used sure, and yeah. it just kind of, complicates things when you're trying to get the full story yeah and so in the process of kind of writing this all up and reporting on it and kind of putting the timeline together i went back and i looked at because i still have all of my notes from practice and different stuff i've transcribed basically going back to training camp Mm -hmm. and repeatedly from you know september when camp started to when he actually started playing just every single time that Chauncey Billups was or any of the players were asked about it they all every single time said you know we're trying to be really cautious with this we don't want him to come back before he's ready and you know Chauncey has talked about you know as a former player I know what it's like to have to be asked to play hurt and so as a coach I never want to do that to a player mm-hmm. and so that stuff is all on record and it's all pretty consistent and I had also heard and I had actually if you go back and read stuff I've written I had been reporting at the time while you know maybe in like november or december whenever you know they were waiting for him to come back i had been saying and hearing and writing consistently that the medical staff had cleared him but it was the final decision of when he played was up to him when he came back and told them he was ready to play they were going to let him play Mm -hmm. and they were comfortable with him playing but they weren't going to tell him to play if he didn't want to play and then the night that he actually did make his return against detroit on January 2nd, Chauncey said that he was going to be on a minutes restriction. He ended up playing about 13 minutes that night. And Gary said after the game, he was asked about the minutes restriction. He said, yeah, I'm on a minutes restriction, but I told Chauncey that I don't care about a minutes restriction. If he wants me to play more minutes, I'm happy to play more minutes. So this is, I mean, it could be different behind the scenes, but just going on what's on the record and what everybody here has said on the record, 
it sure doesn't sound like he was being forced to do anything that he didn't want to do or wasn't comfortable doing. And if anything, they were maybe overly cautious with him. And, you know, he maybe took more time coming back than you would expect him to come back to. I think that's so the, 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 the thing that bothers me, I think, about this whole situation is that the Blazers medical staff now is under this microscope for how they handled his injury mm-hmm. when I don't know if there are really, and, and, you know, this also just kind of like, it messes with people's livelihoods, especially if like, like, like it would be one thing if they actually were doing anything nefarious or they were like shooting players up with painkillers and saying, Hey, go out there and play. Like it would be one, like that would, that stuff is like, that's pretty serious stuff. If they were actually doing that, that stuff would honestly probably be fireable but from everything we know and everything i've heard and everything that has kind of come out since this report came out none of that stuff was going on and but still the blazers medical staff is kind of being scrutinized and you know they're they're two head athletic trainers jeff clark is one of them he's been there forever and i've never really heard a negative thing about him and then Jessica Cohen is their head athletic trainer who I don't know her that well. Like I, I try, I try to stay away from talking to trainers because it's kind of hard to talk to them without them feeling like they're like getting into HIPAA stuff. So I kind of try to Mm -hmm. keep my distance from them. So I don't know her that well. I know her basically enough to say hi, but that's about it. But you know, she is, I feel bad for her because she is the only woman with that job in the NBA. And she was really put under a microscope by this whole situation. And if anything had happened, like her career is probably over. But from the sound of it, she, you know, they didn't do anything improper. And I'll say this too. I was talking to a couple days ago, an agent for another player on the Blazers who has been here for a few years and has had a few different injuries that he's dealt with that have kept him out for, you know, long periods of time while he's been here. And this agent told me that not only has the way that the Blazers have handled his injuries been totally above board and totally by the book the whole time, and they had zero issues with it, but also that he would, when it comes to the, they didn't disclose this to the Warriors part of it, this agent also told me that he would put Joe Cronin at or near the top of GMs that he's dealt with as far as communication and transparency. And then you also, you saw the same night that GP2 was, where, was you know, at the game with Bob Myers wearing the Warriors sweatshirt, Josh Hart, who just got traded yeah. to, New, to New York from here after his first game with the Knicks, he was up on the podium for his pre post-game press conference. And after he was done talking about the game or talking about the Knicks or whatever, he stayed at the podium and said, I just want to say that the Portland organization is a class act and it's a great organization and the front office and the medical staff are great. Like he didn't, ha- nobody asked him about it, but, and I don't know exactly why he felt like he had to say that, but I think it's probably fair to assume that at least part of it was he heard kind of this speculation about how they handled GP. And by the way, Josh Hart is a guy who played through all kinds of stuff, like ankle, mm-hmm. like, n- like not anything serious, but just like little stuff, like ankle stuff. He was playing through stuff but he's the type of guy who like wants to play through anything and if and, and you know if anything there were a couple times this season where Josh wanted to play through something and the medical staff was like no 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 you can't you're not playing through this and so i think between you know what i heard from that agent and Josh Hart just going out of his way to say hey the Portland organization does everything properly and does everything by the book it sure seems like there's an effort by a lot of people involved and i think rightly so to make sure that people don't have this perception of their medical staff that might be out there from you know the some of the reporting from other places well, about I, this whole I, thing. I also think big picture too. It's not a good look for Portland in general. Once Peyton's physical was, he failed his physical, right? And uh, the Warriors filed a complaint about it, saying that there was or alleging that there was pertinent medical information that wasn't released right. to them. And pre that that is a sign of broken trust and Mm -hmm. i think other teams would look at that and then maybe be wary of making a trade with portland down the line um if this is found to be the case you know so i think i think it it's it's definitely a tricky situation i think people going on like josh hart coming out and speaking about portland and um just the way that people have been talking about portland in the aftermath of it you know it shows that there is like players that play there really 
tend to enjoy playing there. Um, and so I think it's just kind of, like I said, it's a waiting game to see like what actually the league finds, if anything, you know, with the allegations. Do you have any sense of how long that's going to take? I don't, unfortunately. I asked a few people and they all said, they all just kind of shrugged their shoulders at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's do a little bit of actual basketball stuff now. Cause, oh, yeah. Cause like, you know, <laughs> the Warriors, you know, Steph obviously going to be out for a while. Yeah. Uh, the Warriors, like, they're kind of in the same position that the Blazers are in right now where they're... Where they're mid? Yes, that's that's kind of the word that's kind of the word to, to use for it. And the Blazers just had a little bit of a set. You know, last night, Anthony Simons has an ankle injury. We're still waiting on the MRI results, I think, for that. So uh, I, we'll find out more about that. But just based on how the injury looked in real time, I think he's probably going to be out for a while. So I don't know what that's going to do to their chances how long is Steph supposed to actually be out do you know uh he's gonna be reevaluated after the all-star break he already said he's not gonna be good to go for the first game out of the break which is mm -hmm. February 23rd um he has not he's not on the court right now doing anything he's still rehabbing so I mean with ligament injuries it can just be tricky tr tricky because uh -huh. um they all heal differently and obviously you don't want to have to like re-aggravate it at some point um because that could potentially down the line lead to a more serious recovery plan like maybe even involving surgery not sent nobody has talked about surgery when it comes to Steph Curry but um, if he comes back early and then he re-aggravates it then then that might be on the table so they just want to avoid that yeah yeah you just want to with knees you want to be so careful about um and so he's he, he's kind of out of the picture for the foreseeable pick future right now Andre Guadalla no update on him. Um, he's only played three games this season, but when he when he can play, he can make an impact, right? Uh -huh. Like he's still really a high caliber player. It's just he can only do it in short spurts. And I I think the goal was to have him play more than three games at this point in the season. Um, so that's kind of been a letdown. And Gary Payton the second obviously being out doesn't help. So the the margin of error is really slim for the Warriors this break. They really needed this break at this point, you know. Jamichael Green's been dealing with a wrist injury. Uh, Draymond Green's been playing through some soreness. I think Kevon Looney, you know, he's played in every single game this season. He's played in every single game last season, too. You know, he's, I think he has the third, second longest active uh, consecutive games played streak in the NBA right now. Um, so I think uh, the hope is that they'll come back from this break a little bit healthier to get that get up to that clean bill of health even closer to the playoffs and just kind of push it and figure it out from here but Draymond Green yesterday kind of went off and basically said the problem with the Warriors right now is that they have no will to want to defend and he can't make people want to defend that's something that somebody has to like want to do on their own accord and put in that extra effort and you know he said defense is 90 percent effort and I think uh that kind of was an a wake-up call for some players as they're heading off to this break to maybe think about um, over the next eight days. And I think their defense, if they if they want to actually contend for a title, it, it hinges on their defense being way better than it was, you know, through the first 58 games. Where are things at with Draymond right now? Because the last time you and I did this was during the preseason, which was right after the punch happened with mm -hmm. him and Jordan Poole. And you were kind of saying then that you thought all signs sort of pointed to this being Draymond's last season with the Warriors. He's about to be a free agent uh, this summer. Jordan Poole just got paid uh, before the season started. Like, they're, they paid basically everybody else. Do you, where do you kind of think that's at right now? Do you think Draymond is going to be back with the Warriors next year? Like, where's where's all that relationship at right now, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think he has a player option that he can take this off season if he wants. Um, but I, it's hard to say right now. I will, I will say going back to the defense thing, I think part of the problem this season, and even Draymond has acknowledged it, right. Is that he's kind of walking on eggshells. They need him to be, they need him to walk on the line and be, you know, vocal and push the te his teammates and hold them accountable and all this stuff and be loud. But because of that, he's kind of been hampered by that preseason punch, right? And so it's uh -huh. it's inhibited his way to be a leader. Um, 
And he said he feels like he's turned a corner with that and he can kind of be more the Draymond the team needs him to be. But, you know, I wonder with him calling out the the lack of, you know, effort on defense last night, if that's kind of him now feeling more comfortable, like, okay, it, it's time for me to be Draymond and to to be the loud leader, the passionate guy they need me to be. Because um, I, I do think that that preseason incident with Jordan Poole had lingered over the team for, you know, a good portion of the season so far, whether people want to admit it or not. Do you think any of that's still there? Or have they pretty much all gotten over it at this point? Um, I think, I think that they, like I've said, I think they've, they've, the two of them have gone over it. I mean, they're not, I'm not going to say that they're going to be like best friends right, going out to lunch every day kind of thing. Um, I'm sure their personal relationship might've taken a hit after it. No pun intended. Now that I say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oops. Uh, but I, you know, professionally they've, they've played really well together on the court. Um, so I think, I think they've been able to move past it. But like I said, I think it's just kind of, made it it's made Draymond more aware of the way that he is as a leader I think how how burned out are you on covering this kind of because like you because like we were talking in the preseason this is your you you came out Mm -hmm. of the Warriors beat middle of last season yeah this was your first training camp and your first full season on the beat and I was kind of telling you like hey welcome to the NBA there's always something and like from my end I thought that after all of the stuff that happened in Portland last December with the front office changes and investigation and all that kind of stuff with the previous general manager. I thought I was kind of clear for a while. I thought I was not going to have to deal with any of this, of this Mm -hmm. sort of controversy. And then, you know, they had kind of a quiet trade deadline. A lot of people were a little bit disappointed that they didn't make any huge upgrades, but you kind of understood what they were trying to do. And then this just kind of hits out of nowhere right before Joe Cronin's press conference. And now suddenly that blows up your whole, like I had to, to let you people behind the curtain a little bit. I had to be the guy that brought my laptop to the Super Bowl party because I did too, (laughs) because like we had to just like, because you know, that was like the, during the game was like the deadline for Mm. when the Warriors had to decide on the trade or not. So I had to, like I was over at a buddy's house watching the game and had to be on my phone texting the whole time, which I I don't like doing that. I like if I'm at a social gathering like that. I mean, I know there are people who like you've you remember like you read that you read that story uh, probably like a year ago about that was like a profile. I forget who wrote it, but it was a profile of Shams where it was talking about how he gets 18 hours of screen time a day and is just like never not on his phone or like there's this there's this there was this profile actually of sport in Sports Illustrated probably like four or five years ago where a reporter got to shadow Adam Schefter for the first 24 hours of NFL free agency and ESPN literally has an employee on the payroll whose entire job is to be Adam Schefter's driver so that he has to never not be on his phone and I'm not wired that way at all I don't want that's why I've never really tried to be like a newsbreaker scoop you know sources guy because I just I that life that life where you just can never not be on your phone and you can never not be plugged in. If I'm going to a Super Bowl party on Sunday, I want to be there. I like I was I was seeing some friends that I hadn't seen in a while at that party. I was I wanted to just kind of be, you know, present in the moment and yeah. not on my phone the whole time. But I had to be, and I realized this is the job that we chose, and this is you know part of what comes with it. But. And I, I, it was also just, like, annoying because, like, we knew the trade was going to go through. Like, there was never a chance it wasn't going to go through. But I couldn't do anything or write anything until it was officially gone through and then I could get it confirmed and then I could re- report what I reported and write what I wrote. Yeah. But you still have to just kind of be on alert and be on edge. But then even and then even once the trade goes through and you report what you report, you can't really just kick your feet back and say, okay, I did it. Now it's, now it's like you still have to, like, wait for follow-ups and... What I think that's that's kind of like as as much as I like enjoy the job, it's a very fun job. We're both we're both privileged to be able to cover sports for a living and talk about sports for a living and write about them. Uh Um, It's kind of those behind the scenes grinds that people don't understand because and even sometimes now when I put my phone down, like I have like separation anxiety almost where I'm like, oh, what if somebody texts me or what if something happens? 
And I think that was worse earlier in my career where I constantly felt like I had to be like on my phone and like in the know of what was the latest, what was happening and reading everything and all that. And while I still think it's important to read everything or as much as everything that you can, uh, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better about not being on my phone as much. But then there is like some guilt, right? That you're maybe I'm not, you know, texting enough or maybe I'm not talking to people enough or, you know, should I be doing more? Um, but it's also like you're trying to balance your own personal life with the job. Yeah. And there's not really a good uh, job work-life balance in this field. Um, and so when you're trying to like figure out that balance, it can be really, it can be really challenging. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're doing, you're not going to all-star, are you? I'm not, but um, you got some news that just broke. Did you see that? No. What? MRI came in. Sources suffered a sprint. Oh, oh, this is just, oh, it's okay. So this is Woj. Blazers guard Anthony Simons will have his MRI. Oh, this is, this isn't MRI results. Oh. This is just, this is just MRI results. My bad. No, no, I no, saw no, MRI no. and his name in Portland Trail Blazers. And just well, assumed. right. No, no, no. Cause okay. So that, that actually the fact that he's having the MRI tomorrow, not today. Cause Chauncey said after the game that he was going to have the MRI today. So I just like assumed it was going to be today, but mm-hmm. yeah, they had the x-rays were negative. We knew that last night. Yeah. This is, this is just when he's going to have the MRI. This isn't, actually the results of the mri so i guess okay good uh, to know false alarm false my bad no 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 that's good that's good that's good to know i can go about my day today and not have to worry about like waiting for mr although you know what though uh i hope they do it in the morning because mm-hmm. i'm flying to salt lake city tomorrow afternoon and oh you know it's gonna come out when you're on that flight you want to talk about you you want to talk about work-life balance i realize this is something some people like have to do but i always really enjoy unless it's like some breaking news that I'm waiting on or something I have to do. Mm-hmm. I never buy the Wi-Fi on airplanes. I always like to just disconnect from the world for two hours or however long it is. So I, I might have to buy the Wi-Fi on the plane just to wait for Anthony Simons's results. I really don't want to do that. So I would, I would love it if they have the MRI in the morning. Yeah. I, I try not to buy the Wi-Fi, but there are days when I have to write or do something. Sure. It's yeah. Like, this is the only time that I have time to write, so. Yeah. Do you have anything coming out on the at the Mercury News besides, obviously, all the reporting on the GP2 stuff? Is there anything that you want people to look out for? Any, like, stories you're working on that you're, like, especially, you know, excited about or anything you want people to keep an eye out for? Yeah, so I have this feature that I've been <laughs> trying to write now for uh quite a while i already did all the interviews and everything but just haven't had the opportunity to sit down and write it just because of the way the, the GP2 season goes thing. uh so even, underwater with all of that yeah even before that just you know with the day-to-day grind of this beat and stuff um but i'll have something about andre guadala and his relationship with jonathan kaminga coming out over the all-star break mm-hmm. uh, i have a few guys talking about what it's like to play with steph curry um you know guys that this is their first season playing alongside him um, and that adjustment that it might have taken them, um, especially for like a guy like Dante DiVincenzo who had played against him before uh, and how maybe that's changed his perspective on stuff a little bit. And that's, those are like the two, two main ones that I'm working on. So cool. So maybe the next time we do this, the Blazers and the Warriors will be playing each other in the play in game. Cause that's about all I think either of these teams are going to be doing at this point. At this point. Yeah. I, they, the Warriors have been talking about figuring it out for months now. Well, I'm sure they off. feel like, you know, they just, they just get into the playoffs. They don't really care what seed they are. Cause I, if they I have those, that... if they have, if, if, the, if their main three guys are healthy, they still feel like they can beat anybody in a series. hundred percent. I think that's kind of the, the mindset with this team right now is they're like, let's just get to the playoffs healthy. Um, but they got to win some games and they want, they have to avoid the play in tournament because the play in tournament is so wonky. You mm-hmm. just never know. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it all goes well, together. I think I'll think they'll be able to string together enough wins to at least make the playoffs outright. Well, the Blazers are kind of in the same boat. Cause like, obviously the Simon's injury, if he's out for a while, that might change some things, but mm-hmm. like, Nurkic, I think, is supposed to be back shortly before the or shortly after the All Star break. He's been dealing with a calf thing for the last week or two. Uh, Justice Winslow, I think, is supposed to be back sometime after the All Star break. He's had an ankle injury for a while. 
but and you know now they're working in a couple of new guys cam reddish matisse thibel both of whom have started both of the games they played in since the trade so there's a lot of just moving parts and the blazers are kind of also in that mix where like they're only a game out of the play-in right now and they're Mm -hmm. still right in the mix and they're trying to string wins together and dame obviously is in the middle of maybe the best season he's ever had in his career but they just can't get over the you know they, they they win a couple games and things look like they're headed in the right direction and then they lose a couple and they're right back to either intent or like right out of the play in so i think it's going to within the first couple of weeks after the break it's going to go one way or the other they're either going to string some wins together and say okay maybe we can stay in the mix or else they're going to you know keep you know guys are going to stay hurt and they're going to keep losing games and then they might at some point you know go the other way and maybe i'm not talking about playoff matchups or play in matchups and i'm thinking about booking a flight back to chicago for the combine in uh, mm-hmm. in in may well and i i think that's kind of the same thing with the warriors is that they're just uh do the, do the warriors have all their picks and stuff do they have their pick this year i think they have a second rounder this year, they don't have their first mistaken. rounder. I don't believe. I think that belongs to uh, Memphis, if I'm correct. Okay. So, I mean, that's 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 even more why they're in this win now mode is they yeah. don't have any assets until like 2026. <laughs> so right, yeah. So all right. that's what happens well, when you have a top heavy roster. Yeah, I mean, then Portland is also in kind of a weird spot now, where like I think it makes it a little bit easier because they got that first round pick from the Knicks with the Josh Hart trade, but. They owe their first to the Bulls lottery protected through 2028. <laughs> so I think this is, uh, I think they're still kind of motivated to make the playoffs mm-hmm. just to get off of that because that opens up the ability to trade future picks. Because I think, and I, you know, they've been pretty open about this. Joe Cronin has, and other people have their plan this off season, since they didn't do anything big at the deadline, their plan is this summer to have all their picks and have some assets and they have all this stuff and whoever the next star is that comes available or wants to be traded from their current team or whatever the case may be and like there are some names out there that are floating around as rumors that might be in play but they have real stuff to offer for whoever one of those guys is and their plan I think this summer is to like the rest of the season is going to go however the rest of the season goes. Either they sneak into the play-in and make the playoffs or they don't. I don't think they're really losing sleep about it one way or the other. But they're trying to, whatever the big move is, like, you know, whatever, like, the big acquisition. Because, like, I think the way they have it, like, the way it's set up right now, like, Dame is obviously still Dame and he's still at the level that he's at. Jeremy Grant is a great number three guy mm-hmm. on, a, on a good team. They don't really have a real number two. And I don't think Simons, and obviously this injury kind of complicates that even further, but I don't think Simons is quite at that level. And I think they think Shaden Sharp is going to be at that level one day, but it might take him two or three years and it might not have two or three years if their whole point is to maximize what they have with Dame right now. So whether it's, I don't know, Pascal Siakam or Carl Anthony Towns, whoever, whoever it is, like whoever the next like big name guy that is available for trade that is like a real, you know, difference maker like that, they're going to be in the mix trying to make an offer to, you know, get a real like second actual star to put with Dame. Like that's the plan for the summer. But for right now, they're just kind of treading water. I don't think they're going to actually, and like unless more guys get hurt i don't think they're going to shut it down and try to tank because they're not really going to even if they did that they're not going to be bad enough to really get into the victor sweepstakes and so at that point you might as well like it's going to take a lot of convincing for dame to shut it down if he's not actually hurt last year he was actually hurt and was actually recovering from that surgery so like it's just going to be kind of a weird string to play out for the next couple of months Mm -hmm. well we'll be covering it we will (laughs) thanks again for doing this maddie i'll talk to you soon Yeah, anytime. I'll talk to you later. Bye.